I know you know every time I come, I am really avid about getting the church to pray. I have some more of these. I think last time I was here, I brought some of these out. Um, ways to pray for missionaries. Uh, used to be how to support your missionaries without money. All these things that are listed. You have a new pastor. Take one of these and start praying for him on some of these things. Here it is. Um, enablement in life and ministry. Flexibility in relationships. Protections. From satanic attack. You need to pray for the pastor on that. You know, the world is getting harder and harder. Guys, I'm in Africa. I love it. But the more I hear about what's going on here, civility is out the window. People are getting more and more aggressive toward anything that has to do with Christianity. Uh, that might actually be a good advertisement for all of you to come out to Africa. So come out and work with me. You won't have those problems like you have here. Different, not the same. And then also our card, sorry, Nancy could not come. If you think about it, pray for Nancy. Uh, Nancy went up to Boston, Massachusetts to meet with her sisters. Uh, she had two sisters that flew over from Texas. Nancy actually has some serious roots in Boston. Her parents grew up there. Uh, Nancy's family tree just goes way back. Her dad was like, like the second ship after the Mayflower. And they got Samuel B. Morris in her family tree. They got all these famous people in Nancy's family tree. My family tree, they basically hung. You know, so there wasn't much branches after that. So, you know, you have her married me, and she's just, you know, she's got, like, world history all around her. But um, her one sister is a born-again believer, and her other sister is not. Great person, great humanitarian. She's married to a pastor. I say that loosely. Uh, he doesn't believe the Bible is true. I don't even know why he calls himself a Christian because there's nothing about him that really reflects Jesus Christ. And yet he's teaching others the same philosophy that he has. She needs to know Jesus Christ. Um, so please pray for them. I think uh, many of you know and heard uh, I'm back in the United States for a period of time. We intended on coming back in August. My mom died at the beginning of July. Uh, so we were able to come back earlier. Uh, my dad is uh, 89. He's in an assisted living place. He's going through the beginning stages of uh, dementia. And so we came to be with my dad and walk him through that, that loss. Uh, my dad knew my mom since she was 13 years old. And so now he's facing that loss of, of a companion. He's, he's lost, you know, even living in his own house and doing what he used to do, puttering around. There's a lot of changes in my dad's life that's very we decided to come out and uh, we celebrated his birthday with him without mom. We, uh, we tend not celebrating Thanksgiving with him without mom, celebrating Christmas with him without mom, and then we're going back to Kenya January 1st. So we decided to just extend. Uh, the good thing is my brother, uh, Dave, my youngest brother, he lives down there with my, near my dad. And so he's constantly getting family um, talking to him and communicating with him. Well, let me share with you a little bit about what we're up to. Uh, we don't live on the beach. Uh, this is up in 1987. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you don't think how far back that was. I look at that picture, I say, I'm twice the man I was back then, <laughs> which has a lot of truth to it. 
both those kids you see there are in their middle 30s. Uh, they're following, uh, following the Lord. And as you know, um, <clears throat> Nancy and I spent a lot of time in northern Kenya. Uh, we worked with nomads. We taught Bible. Uh, we did discipleship. Our whole focus was to go and train, uh, bring the gospel to people groups, uh, do whatever we could, and then train these people to take our place and leave. So here we are at Kalacha, and this young man that you see in front of me, uh, in front of you, he is not a pastor, but he is continuing to work within the church. So church leader Nancy would also do whatever she could. She wasn't involved in medical, but here she is working with a young woman who's a nurse. We do mobile clinics, and that means you tell the people in that general area, when the moon is at this phase, we're going to meet you under this tree. And then you get there, and you wait. And then eventually people start showing up, and then you do vaccinations and things like that. It can be rather exciting and a little boring sometimes. <laughs> Here is the first church that I pastored. This is the church at Los Kiriachi. You can see that, that cedar structure. It doesn't look impressive at all. Um, we were very, very much on letting people build with materials that they own and not building a structure that later on they're gonna come up to you and say it needs to be fixed because they don't have the means to do it. These are all cedar posts that were harvested from the, from the forest and they continued and, uh, to, to meet there. Uh, Nancy and I left there in uh, 2000, but you can see a structure being built behind there. When I went back to Kenya, somebody found out I was back and they texted me. They said, I want you to see what we're doing with the local church. They said, we're building another structure. And so these are the people that we left behind, and they are building their own church building and making it a more solid church building. So uh, the work is continuing there without a missionary. Isn't that awesome? Hmm. You know, you go in there, you do what you're supposed to do, you leave, and the Holy Spirit continues to work. That is success. Not, among, not mine. I got those plant the seed and walk away, and, and God brought it to fruition. So the word of God is continuing to go forward in that area and had nothing to do with me. This is Kalacha Church. That's another church that we pastored. Uh, we did that, and we, we left there in 2007. We were there for about five years. Again, same idea. Uh, we would pastor, we would train, we would disciple. And then we'd leave. And in 2007, Nancy and I came back to the United States. We were here for about 10 years. Uh, and uh, when I went back to Kenya about two and a half years ago, uh, I went and visited that church. My house is empty. Nobody's in it. But there are people that are continuing to teach the Word of God. This is uh, Abudo Karawe and his wife. Uh, Nancy used to have a wife in Bible studies. Abudo Karawe has been a Christian for quite some time. Man is Zako. Zako, I used to give cassette tapes. Do you guys remember cassette tapes? Remember those? Yeah, you'd have to twirl them and put them back in the cassette and those sort of things. They used to have these hand crank ones. And uh, Zako was a man that herded goats and sheep. He herded his father's animals, and he would be gone for months. And Zako just had a passion for the Word of God and giving these cassette tapes. And talked about the Bible from Genesis all the way down to Revelation. He took them to go watch the goats. When he was around the campfire, he would tell the people, he prank those things, listen to those tapes, 
get better understanding of God's word. And now, Izako is in that town of Kalacha and he's helping the pastor the church. So he doesn't have a lot of training, but he's using the training he has to continue to serve the Lord. And now we have another young man, Barako Halake. Barako was one of my youth group. I taught him uh, Bible. We had uh, a youth group, uh, and they would come over every uh, one day a week and study God's Word. We'd have popcorn, we'd play games, they'd cheat at Uno like Mac. <laughs> so we'd throw the Uno cards, they'd cheat, 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 cheat. Okay, that's now it's time to have the Bible study, which I thought was always good. You know, teach him a little bit about not cheating and things like that. <laughs> so we would have a Bible study, and, and uh, some of these kids took it really to heart. Baraco is one of them. And I heard Baraco took on a new name. And I happened to visit Baraco when I went over to Kalacha. I said, Baraco, I heard you have a new name. He says, Yes. I said, what name is that? Brian. I said, where did you get that from? <laughs> yeah, okay. So Brian is still working at Kalacha, but a different Brian. He is the only Gabra guy in the whole world named Brian. <laughs> so he is continuing in ministry. I thought it was quite humorous. But uh, he's going to go and study God's word uh, starting this year. His uh, plan is to pastor the church there at Kalacha. The Gabra people are very, very hard people. Uh, they're mostly, half of them are Muslim, but they're 100% animist. That means they, they, they have respect for the spirits of the dead, and they have rituals that they go through that are very, very important to them. It's a hard thing to break from. So Morocco has a hard job ahead of them, but already people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and are encouraged by that. This is where I work. I now work in Nairobi. Instead of being way out in the bush, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, oh look, there's a Mercedes. That's, that's been the trade-off for me. <clears throat> and uh, this is the office that we work with. We work with a staff of about eight Kenyans and about four or five missionaries. And these are people of prayer. We pray twice a day. First of all, we pray for all the missionaries. We break our missionaries down into sections so that by the time we finish the week, we pray for every missionary that's in either Kenya or Tanzania because that's our responsibilities. AIM uh, breaks down uh, parts of Africa into what they call regions, and there's areas of control, and that, that way uh, people can have oversight and can encourage and can focus on certain areas so that we can build in more opportunities for people to join us. Uh, we like having it that missionaries come to us and say, we need somebody over here. Uh, it's not as good when somebody from the U.S. says, oh, I have somebody over here that wants to join you. Uh, that doesn't work too well sometimes. And so we strategize, and part of my responsibilities are strategizing with the missionaries that we have and trying to find and open new places. It's great when we go to an unreached people group start sharing Jesus Christ, and we listen, we start discipling. But sometimes we can get so focused on this important work that we forget on the next horizon there's another people group that doesn't know Jesus. So we're just trying to push for the next horizon. How do we make that work? How do we bring people in? Because we're trying to bring people in for longevity. We don't want them coming in short term. Now we, instead of living in the vast, wide open space, we actually live within two miles of one of the largest slums in Africa. Those are all tin roofs that you're looking down on. 
No bathrooms, no running water. And this is where all the workers in the factories and all those other places, those service people that uh, don't get paid anything, that's where they all live. And they all come down from all over Canyon to come and work. And this is where most of them end up. So as a result, we have we we go to jail every night. We lock ourselves in our house. And we have bars on the window, bars before the doors. We have bars on the doors. And uh, this is our new life now. By the grace of God, never had a problem. But we, have, we now have to live in a compound that has... Uh, uh, cement block all the way around us. We have a gate guard during the day, gate guard during the night. We have a guard dog at night. We have razor wire all the way around the compound, and we have alarms set up. We even have a, uh, an organization where if we push an alarm, they will come and they will take care of any problem of people that may have crossed over the wall or things like that. Nairobi is a very dangerous place. Uh, neither Nancy and I have ever felt any aggression at all while we've been there in Nairobi. And we've been there right now for about two and a half years. So God has been good to us. People have been robbed. Things have been taken. During elections, uh, we just sit tight because things can go south really, really quick in Kenyan elections. And this time, this last election, they had two in a row, which is very interesting. These are the roads we used to be on. Uh, you know, the wide open spaces had a four-wheel drive uh, land cruise. I was talking to, I was talking to somebody from uh, Grace Chapel. Uh, he's an MK. He says, do you ever miss the wide open spaces? I'm like, oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I wish I had my land cruiser. I wish I had my four-wheel drive. Even on the worst muddy day where you get stuck and you have to dig yourself out. It's a lot better than working on paved roads in Nairobi because this is what we're dealing with now. You know, and it's just bumper to bumper, and the traffic is insane. And every time I start complaining, God, why did you bring me to this place? God just sends some reminders every once in a while. Uh, then I remember there are times when I wish there was more traffic. <clears throat> we've had a lot of adventures with the vehicles that we've had. God has always kept us safe. We have never slept more than one night on the road. God is already always, always, always taken care of. I was remarking one time we were stuck in the, in the road. The road was all mud. There was nobody that was going to come. Absolutely nobody. Even the closest missionary said, I don't even have enough fuel to fit to you and get back. He says, I can't help you. So we're waiting. We were digging in the mud. And finally I said to Nancy, we need to set up the tent. So we set up our tent. It's a three-man tent. We had a, a, a gobbler man with us. He was helping and it was like five o'clock, we set up the tent, Nancy cooked something, went to sleep, this guy snored so bad. <laughs> I mean, it was horrible, it's the, the tent was like shaking. And, and Nancy and I woke up listening to this and we were so tickled, we just laughed ourselves silly. Because this guy was really shaking the tent with a snore. So finally the next morning we got up, we started pulling the tent apart, we found leopard traps, tracks, around our tent. And I figured the leopard goes, what is that predator that's in that tent? <laughs> Better not pursue it because it sounds pretty dangerous. So we're grateful for the guy that was snoring. It kind of, you know, the leopard felt, well, there's probably a more apex predator in the tent and it left us alone, which was a good thing. 
But one of the things that we're doing now that I really enjoy, having been in outreach, having been 20 years doing church planting and evangelism, now having an understanding of some of the outreach ministries that we need to pursue, and that is my responsibility. Right now, uh, I've given given the title of personnel over Kenya and Tanzania. I have another man that I've worked with a long time. Actually, I've worked with him since 1987 in Kenya. He is my boss. But my goal is to open new areas for gospel among the unreached. These are some more Gabro people that are being reached for the gospel. There's a couple up there from Brazil, and they are starting two churches and are sharing the gospel and and helping people understand uh, the gospel. So there they're praying in dedication over a plot that they've set aside for the church. Nancy does orientation because we want longevity. AIM does not do two-week short-term if you say, I want to go to Kenya for two weeks, please don't call us. We don't have anything for you. And the reason why is we are so focused on making sure that Africans come to faith in Jesus Christ and that there is discipleship. You can't do discipleship in two weeks. And so we're looking for people to come out for a longer period of time. We do have something like a month or two months, and most of that is training. So that when you're done with that month or two months, it's not that you come back and say, yes, I did missions. It's more that you come back and say, wow. Missions is a hard task. I need to study more so I can come out and really invest my life in discipleship. And so Nancy is involved in in making sure and overseeing that people get orientated well so that they're there for longevity. Uh, These are my two students. I have what's called Night Watch Bible Institute. Doesn't that sound impressive? (laughs) Yeah, and I'm the theological educator. There's three of us. Yeah, as impressive as that one is, we don't even have a building. We do this out in the parking lot. We get these plastic chairs, and we, we have a table, we open up our Bibles. There's a curriculum I'm following. I'm going to give them a certificate. Uh, we just got finished doing uh, the Old Testament. And these two guys, Paul is the guy in the big picture. Amos is the guy in the smaller picture. Amos is a dasanach. Amos comes from an unreached people group. And so these two guys are our guards. And they're the ones who open the gate and allow people in or don't allow them in. And so we've hired Amos as a part-time guard so that he has enough money to support his family and to take this, this course. And then when he's done with that course, he's going to go home and he's going to reach his own people. So he's down there uh, in Nairobi. Uh, my boss is teaching him and, and Paul. Both of them are in training to be pastors. And so we're allowing, we're, we're doing that. After I'm done with all my responsibilities in the office, 5 o'clock, I'll go out there. We'll sit there in, uh, uh, out in the parking lot, and we'll do our Bible training. And if it rains, well, they have a guardhouse, and we're like this. And, you know, we get everybody to turn the pages of everybody else's Bible because it's just really tight. But uh, they don't want to stop. Uh, they're consuming God's Word, and I'm, I'm very, very encouraged and then Nancy and I had a chance to go to China. You see that girl over there on the right? That's my daughter, Christina. Christina Hoffman. She has been working in China for over three, four years. Uh, she asked us to come out. Uh, these, uh, the girl on the left, that's her roommate. And that's her parents. <clears throat> and she asked me to come out if I could teach missions to the underground church. So I had a chance of teaching a four-day seminar the Chinese, the underground church about missions. What does it look like? 
You say, you know, we, we know we have to reach China. We know we have to reach our own people. But God told us to go into all the world. How do we do that? What does that look like? And so I got to teach about 40 people uh, from different underground churches uh, things about missions. It was a real encouragement. If God ever opened that door to that country, you cannot believe how much people could come to know Jesus Christ because there's Chinese all over the world doing business, building roads, doing mining, doing all these other things. If China let its borders open, you'd have Christian Chinese that have connections with Chinese and other countries that can start preaching the gospel in places that we can't go. They can go to Somalia. If I go to Somalia, that's called short-term mission trip. <laughs> if you go there and you preach Jesus Christ, and you, if you're lucky, you get kicked out of the country. But a Chinese is not a threat to Somalis. And there are a lot of places where the Chinese can go that we can't. <clears throat> and so our, still, our goal is to pursue that area that, that is unreached. This, I, I took this picture. I went to visit a family uh, that were working out in a place called the Alagua people. And unfortunately, her, the, it was a husband, wife, and two kids. Uh, their youngest son, who was about nine at the time, got leukemia in such a bad way, we had to airlift him out to the States. So he had a plane that was dedicated to him, um, a small plane, a medical plane. We medevaced him out. He's currently in the United States, but for some reason, God has chosen to take them out of the ministry that they had. They're a very, very successful ministry. They're making great relationships. Somehow, God allowed them to come back to the States, and now where they are, it's empty. And so, our, our ideal is to really find people that will be there for longevity, take the place of those that have to leave for one reason or another, and keep the gospel moving forward. So that's what we've been up to lately. And there we are. If you could, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. <coughs> By the way, the uh, How to Pray for Missionaries and our prayer card uh, are over on the table next to the pink and the, what's the other color? I think it's green. Yeah, next to the sign in. So. <laughs> You don't have to sign in for mine, just take it. Uh, if I find a signature on my face for my prayer card, I'll, I'll say there was a little confusion there. So. <laughs> but feel free to take them. Acts chapter 12. The church was in crisis at that time. Notice that at times of great stress and great turmoil, everybody shows up at church to pray. Remember 9 11? Remember that? Remember how every politician in the United States had a photo shoot where? In a church, didn't they? Everybody had a photo shoot in the church. Oh, dear God, how can we do this stuff? It was interesting because a couple months later, when the, when the smoke cleared, everybody was back to normal. But when the crisis occurred, everybody's praying, dear God, why is this happening to us? We have in Acts chapter 12 <clears throat> a situation that was pretty desperate. Let me read that, Acts chapter 12. I'm just going to go from 1 to 5, and that's where I'm going to be. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And yet James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. 
When he had saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now as during the days of unleavened bread, when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to the four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. The church was uh, at this point in a crisis. I think uh, one thing, they were wowed by the, the power of God at the very beginning. And this is not the first time Peter was arrested. He was arrested a couple other times. First time they beat him up, uh, whipped him, and they let him go. Second time they yelled at him and let him go. And now here's the third time. And you're thinking, okay, where's, where's God in this? You know, God is, has already released him a couple times. Yeah, we're under pressure. Yeah, we're facing some problems. But yeah, you know, God's going to pull through. And then all of a sudden, James dies. And that doesn't make sense because James was with Jesus Christ. James was one of the, one of the leaders of the church. Why, why him? That doesn't make sense. Why didn't God intervene? Isn't God a God of power? At this time, also, Stephen had been killed. You have Saul, who hasn't yet accepted the Lord, just been going rampant, running around, catching Christians, throwing them in jail, and you have families that are just torn apart because they're believers, mom and dad are in jail, the kids are running, doing what? Who knows? A lot of turmoil. Where's God? <clears throat> And so we have this situation where, uh, where now the church is wondering what is really going to happen next. I appreciate the fact that in this turmoil, God is going to show that he is going to move because of his own people. Now, Peter, I'm sure, was praying. I would be absolutely shocked if James was not praying before they killed him. All those people that were being arrested, I'm sure they were praying. Well, what happens now that makes things different, that Peter is going to get released? And the Bible actually emphasized what actually happened. So Peter was kept in prison, verse 5, but, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church. You realize how valuable that is? I hope you have time alone with God. I mean, that... That really needs to be a given. But you'll notice as many of you guys have been believers for a long time, you realize when time is short, you know, you're in a hurry. Bible comes out, you read a passage, next thing you know, you're out the door. If anything's going to be left behind, don't you agree with me? A lot of times it's prayer that gets left behind. We're very big on doctrine. We're very big on making sure we get the word of God invested in us. But that time of prayer just seems to like, well, I'll get to it, but nobody gets to it. But it seems to be one of the greatest resources we have because our God is a God of power. Now, one of the things that we have to deal with quite a bit, and I'm sure we deal with it here, um, but I'm, I'm more aware of it in, in Africa and in Kenya, a lot of spirit worship. Uh, a lot of reverence for the dead that have gone before, dead ancestors. Uh, people actually fear the spirits. 
Um, there's a group in Kalacha among the Gaba people, they actually call themselves Satan worshipers. And I know one time they were celebrating the Satan worshipers were, and there was a, a family that was very, very terrified of them, and they asked me to come and pray for them. So we, so we did. We asked God to really protect that family and watch over them. And from what I understand, nothing really happened to that family. They were okay. But we have had missionaries all of a sudden get sick for no reason at all. We've had to medically evacuate a number of people. Look at this young kid who's nine years old. The family is, is really investing their whole lives in this unreached people group. I, I went and visited them. They're speaking the language. They're having people in their homes. They're feeding them. They're dialoguing with them. They're sharing their faith. And then next thing you know, this kid gets sick. Seriously so, so that they have to come out of the picture. Another family that were working in the coast of Kenya. And again, the wife all got all of a sudden got sick, we took her to the hospital, we don't know what's wrong, we have no idea what's wrong, it's getting worse and worse, getting to the point of death, the doctors are doing everything they can, we have no idea what we can do for this one. And a lot of prayer was made and all, and, and, and they were well, this woman was well. And it seems like uh, God has given us a gift that is absolutely amazing that we just don't seem to take too much advantage of, too much value in. And I, I'm not condemning Stonington. I'm just seeing it throughout Christendom. Uh, we have a country that's really in turmoil. You know, I, even though I'm out in Kenya, I mentioned, you know, I get on the news. I'm, I'm listening to this back and forth that, that everybody's doing about this person, that person. There seems to be just absolutely no civility. And, and it's not one-sided. It's just everybody seems to hate everybody else. And what's our country going to come to? What are we looking at in the next 10 years? You know, a person, uh, the, the place I stay in, Lynchburg, has a church that we've been part of for quite some while. Uh, Timberlake Baptist Church. One guy, every time he's in prayer meeting, he stands up, he says, we need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our leadership. We need to pray. And he's talking to to men that are gathered together for that specific purpose of prayer. Not, not to do a Bible study, not to do anything else. They get together on Saturday, they share needs, they share burdens, and they pray. And that's all they do. And then they go home. <clears throat> now our country is going to change only when we share our faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit starts moving in our lives. But a lot of times that comes with prayer. Lord, connect us with the right Give us those divine appointments that bring us together with those people who need to know Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning I talked about Ruth, who was uh, who came to, to faith in Jehovah, but it wasn't because of Naomi. If you look at Naomi, Naomi was like, you need to stay here with your gods and everything else. And that's almost like us, uh, that we forget that there's a world around us that desperately needs Jesus Christ. But I want to come back again to this aspect of that in the most desperate situation, Luke brings out that this is what God used to bring Peter out of prison. It wasn't that God caused the priest to let him go or anything else. And, and the surprising thing is God did not do that for James. James died. 
But God did do that for Peter, the church. But the church was in fervent prayer for Peter. And I'd like to encourage you that way. You know, I always give that, that thing on how to pray for your missionaries. And, and I had alluded also, you got a new pastor. You pray for that, that guy. Pray for Pastor Brad as he takes the responsibilities of this church. You guys are a tough crowd. <laughs> you know, you've been blessed with a new pastor. Pray for him. He is living in a culture that is against him 100%. And I'm not saying here. You step outside these doors. Our culture is against our pastors. They don't want to hear from them. They don't want to. They're just looking for a chance to sue them. It's, it's amazing the things, the, the landmines that our pastors have to walk through. Pray for him. As a matter of fact, get that Africa card and start praying for your pastor in the same way that you pray for your missionaries. Maybe that would be very, very worthwhile. And as we look at this, it would be great if we see that something was going to happen, but the church gathered together to pray and it changed. What Satan had intended for evil, God changed because his people were praying. I want to take you to Acts chapter 2. I actually want to close here. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Prayer is actually the DNA of the church. There are four essentials that I see that is part of the church. Acts 2, 42. And it says this. This is how the church started. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. Now, how important is preaching? You need to hear good doctrine. You need to be taught well. But do you see that's only a quarter of what the believers gathered for? And if we have people coming to church just to hear a preacher, they're missing out on the purpose of the church. They're getting part of it. And they're getting not the whole thing. They're there for fellowship. You know what I love about churches like this? When when it's getting ready for the church service, everybody's like, they're all talking. Pastor, I say, calm down, we're going to have a service now. You know, my wife grew up in a Methodist church. They played the organ music, like somebody died, everybody comes in. And in a way, you know, I'm being facetious, but these people are, in essence, getting a chance to prepare their hearts for worship, which is not a bad thing. And the organ music is playing, and people are getting prepared to worship God. But the fellowship often is not there. If I had to choose between one and the other, I'd rather have the dot, 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 dot. Because now I'm getting to know how your week was. Do I need to encourage you? Do I need to pray for you? Do I need to enable you? Do I need to rebuke you? All part of the conversation. Fellowship was an avid part of the church. Second one was breaking the bread. Remembering as a body of believers, I am here. I am a child of God only because of Jesus Christ. And as much as I say, I have done this, I have done that, I have done this, I have done that, you hold that cup and you hold that bread and you go, I have not done this. This was given to me. And this is the only thing that is enough. 
Will we remember what kind of life we are living, and are we living it in honor of Jesus Christ? We get to press the reset button quite a bit. This doesn't forgive us. It just gives us a chance to think through what kind of life have we been living for a holy and righteous God who wants us to make us more and more into the image of the Son. And then the last part, valuable part, is from the very beginning, the church gathered and I want to encourage you in that if I can I'd love for you guys to pray for me I have experienced so many different things I have some amazing snake stories you know Brian 20 snakes zero (laughs) the only time it was a draw was when the snakes ran away you know I've, I've walked through the forest found lion prints I know that they are just there right ahead of me. I have never encountered them. Leopards you never see, they were in the forest as well. God has kept my children safe. My children would tell me stories now that they're in their 30s that thank God I did not know when they were younger. (laughs) Yeah, all those things. God did that for us. But a lot of that is because you guys are praying for us. You guys are behind us in prayer. You saw the picture of the car broken down the middle road. That could have that could have gone south really bad. Somebody showed up with a gun, wanted our resources. There's nothing I could have done. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. The DNA of the church is prayer, and I love that passage in Acts 12 that when disaster occurred, James was dead. Peter was going to be killed, and the final phrase is. But the church was praying. That is a great position to be in. That as a body of believers, we together as a family start talking to our dad, start talking to our father. Lord, these people need help. Lord, we have these people in the community. Lord, this thing is going south in our country. Lord, we do enable our pastor. Lord, we help our missionaries as they go out and they they face the struggles and trials that they face. That's where things really move forward. I appreciate you very, very much for praying for us. From 1987, from 1987 to 2019, God has allowed us to serve him. And actually going back up north, we've seen a lot of the kids, who are just young kids, we had a chance to do Bible studies with, either become pastors, get involved with the church, move forward. Many of them have dropped away, but I was so impressed. I got up there one time, we'll close with this. I got up there one time, I got up north to Marsada, which wasn't even a place where we were. All of a sudden, somebody tapped me on the shoulder. I heard you were back in Kenya, and I didn't believe it. I wanted to see for myself. I was at a restaurant eating. They found me. And then from then on, I couldn't finish my meal because like 12 people came up. They wanted to say thank you. They wanted to tap me on the shoulder. They wanted to see that I'd return. And in those kids that I talked to that are now adults married have kids, they have also decided to follow the Lord. And that gives me so much pleasure because even though I am not actively involved in the life of the Holy Spirit is. And that's what we can give to people. 
please continue to be a church of prayer as you have in the past. It would be great to hear those stories. This should have happened, but still need to just pray. Let's pray.